She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. In X-Files Podcast, Season 4. Episode 8. Tunguska. This episode is a myth arc episode and originally aired on Sunday, November 24th, 1996 at 9 p.m. In it, a tip from Crycheck leads Mulder and Scully to a chunk of rock that was brought into the U.S. that may contain traces of alien life. When a scientist at Goddard cuts it open, he's infected with the mysterious black oil. Mulder follows Crycheck's intel about the source of the rock all the way to Russia. Meanwhile, Scully is asked to testify before Congress on Mulder's whereabouts. Mm-hmm. This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and was written by Frank Spotnitz and Chris Carter and directed by Kim Manners. So we are at the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and Terrorism in Washington, D.C. The witness is asked to rise. That witness is Scully. So she rises and she takes an oath to tell the truth. She sits back down and says she'd like to read from a prepared statement. Her statement says she left her career in medicine to join the FBI because she believed in this country. She still does, but she believes there are powerful men in the government who do not. And we see the cigarette smoking man is sitting in the back of the audience watching. I can't remember if he's smoking or not. I wonder if he'd be allowed to smoke in the Senate. She continues talking about men with nefarious motives and is interrupted by Chairman Romine. She's told her statement will be entered into the record, but it's not why they're here today. And she asks, well, why are we here then? And then Senator Sorensen asks if she knows the whereabouts of Agent Mulder. Scully respectfully declines to answer that question. Romine starts to tell her that she can't refuse, but she continues saying she believes that answering that question could endanger Mulder's life. Romine says her response is not optional as she's a member of the FBI. She then tries to finish reading her prepared statement in which she says it's no longer possible for her to carry out her duties as an FBI agent. Swordson asks if she's tendering her resignation and she says no, but there's a culture of lawlessness that has impeded her job. And the focus of this committee should be the men whose secret policies are behind the crimes they're investigating. And Sorison tells her either she tells them what she knows about Mulder's whereabouts or she'll be held in contempt of Congress. Ooh. Yeah. And then it's the theme song. Yeah. I got to say, it's not the most compelling cold open on the planet. No, not it's great, really not. Honestly. It's kind of like, no. what's going on? Why is she at the Senate? And then you're like, oh, she's going to quit the FBI. Oh, no, she's just. Yeah, because she pretty something. much says she can no longer do her job, which is pretty much that's what you say when you quit. But yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. very odd. The whole like this whole scene and we'll talk about it again at the end because it comes back. It's just really weird. It's a weird scene. Yeah, well, I don't know that it comes. I think it comes back in the next episode. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is it comes oh, okay. back at the end? Sorry for two parters. They just seem like one big episode to me. <gasps> two parter? Kind of- what a two parter? You mean this is going to be a to be continued? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, they blur yeah. together. They're all just one big episode, as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, this is a shortened opening, though it's only thirty seconds long, and I like it. They need to do it all the time because that whole thing with the face and the I always hated the stupid mirrored seeds. I hated that section. That's gone. The face is gone. The dude with like the glow and dark runes is gone. 
I like it. They should keep the 30 second version. I don't know if they will or not, but I, yeah, like I don't it. remember, but it's tight. Yeah, it is. It's tight. It's nice. Senator Sorison is played by Fritz Weaver, who began his acting career in 1957. He mm. appeared on the original Twilight Zone, as well as the streets of San Francisco, Murder, yeah. She Wrote, Matlock, Law and Order, and just a bunch of other stuff. So he's been in many things. Yeah, and Chairman Romine is played by Campbell Lane, who we actually just discussed yesterday because he was in episode eight of Millennium, The Well-Worn Lock. This is his third appearance in The X-Files, and he's got a pretty interesting set of credits as a voice actor, which we discussed in that episode. I'll just mention two here. One is Gundam Wing, and the other is Beast Wars. So, Yeah, check out that episode, which I don't think came out yesterday on the patreon but that's when we recorded no we talked about it yesterday (laughs) we're we're talking podcast recording time so yes we are time masters so then we're at the honolulu airport at u.s customs and it's 10 days earlier and we see people are standing in line at customs and they're getting their passport stamped and obviously just like any kind of line like this some people are impatient some just look tired And then there's one man in a suit who stands rigid and he's waiting his turn. And when it comes, he tells the agent he's coming from Japan. She asks if he traveled anywhere else. He says the Republic of Georgia. She asks the purpose of his trip. He says government business. And then she asks him to proceed through some doors to a customs official because he's going to get some kind of spot check. And he asks why he's on a diplomatic visa. And she says it's a random check. He says he has a connecting flight, but she doesn't care. So another custom agent waves him over and he complains as the agent asks if the briefcase he's carrying is his only piece of luggage. He says it is. The customs agent asks him to open it. And he says no. And at this point, they're in like a little room, right? Like one of those little like Mm -hmm. rooms that they take you in when they're going to like question you at the airport, which I've never been in, luckily, knock on wood, but doesn't seem like a fun place to be. So he won't open the briefcase, but the agent insists, and the man says he doesn't have the combination because it's got a lock on it. So the agent calls another over and says that this man needs a full strip and search. Yay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure would be like a diplomatic international kerfuffle if they did that in real life, if he's on a diplomatic visa. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like before TSA even. So this is just airport security. I don't know what's going on with customs mm-hmm. agents. So a little later, we see him come out of a private room and he's pulling his clothes back on. In another room, the customs agent has the briefcase open and inside there are two tube shaped containers. So he holds one and he asks what kind of work the man does and what he's transporting. And the man's like, those are biohazardous materials. The agent asks for his paperwork. And the man's like, don't open that container, like whatever you do. But of course the guy does, which just, if you hear that it's biohazard material, I don't know. It just seems like not a smart thing to do, but he does open it. And then he pulls out the vial that's inside and the man is like pleading with him. And of course the agent accidentally drops the vial, which is filled with this black oily goo and it breaks open. And then the man who brought the briefcase like starts banging on the door and he's like, let me out, let me out. And we see these leech-like things crawl out of the oil and up the agent's pant leg while the other man is still like banging on the door and the agent's eyes fill with black oil. Yeah. 
Whoa. So the black oil is apparently like little tiny leeches now because like the oil forms the leeches and then they crawl up. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's like some black dirt in there too. I don't know. This scene was just, it's just layers of ridiculousness in this scene. Like when he's on diplomatic visa, like they would not be like, they would just let him go because otherwise you cause international and they definitely would not do the whole strip search stuff. They'd just be like, you know, if nothing else, they would be like pulling him in and he'd be like under questioning and all that kind of stuff, which would still cause a bit of kerfuffle. And then like, oh, it's a biohazard. So yeah, well, let me just open it. It'd be like if someone said that's a bomb, you would just open it anyway. Like, no, right. you wouldn't. You would like, it's like, I don't know, but I get it, TV, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the scene didn't bother me that much, but it is a little like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's fine. And then you stop to think about it. And you're like, that would, none of that would. Yeah, happen. I don't know. Okay. Unfortunately, it is a harbinger of layers of contrivance <laughs> that are going to happen over the course of these next two episodes Uh-oh. so yes. <laughs> a little insight into at least in feelings. my opinion so yes i mean i don't the problem is i don't disagree this yeah. is not my favorite and then also i actually only just realized they're kind of doing the colony endgame thing on this two-parter where they're going back in time Remember, that's how Colony and Endgame started. We saw like Mulder, like, yeah, rushed into the hospital in the Arctic or whatever. And then we go back in time, like 14 days. So they're kind of doing that thing. Yeah. Cause like Scully being demanded to like to explain where Mulder is is like the hook, I guess. But we don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's their most effective one because we have no idea what's happening. So it's not that like the stakes don't feel that high. No, they just want to let Scully talk. Ooh, whatever. <laughs> Listen, so, I'm happy to listen to Scully talk, but th- th- I'm happy to not listen to Scully talk. Kind of ridiculous. So if you guys don't know by now that I don't like Scully, then you have not been listening to this show. So yeah. anyway, and I love Scully, yeah. but uh, that dialogue was not great. So which is the dynamic of this podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, so we are in Flushing, Queens, New York City. We are in a storage unit or a shipping container that has been converted into a surveillance center slash home base slash war room. And there's a bunch of agents in SWAT-like gear getting ready, including Scully and Mulder. They got little cute helmets on and everything and big guns. They look so adorable. <laughs> adorable Scully looks like SWAT she's cosplay. like role-playing. It's kind of funny because she's super <laughs> tiny and got this big yeah, old giant does. helmet on. <laughs> she does. Anyway. Mulder says they can't go in too soon. They'll have to be patient. It'll happen. And then Scully asks why they're so sure. And he says he's received receipts over the past few weeks for a detonation cord, racing, and diesel fuel, and 80 bags of ammonium nitrate purchasing cash in three states with three different signatures. Scully asks why he thinks it's here tonight. And Mulder says he got two new receipts, one for a storage unit here and one to rent a two-ton truck yesterday. They could be looking at the next Oklahoma City bombing. Scully asks who's been leaking him the receipts, but Mulder doesn't know. And then one of the other agents says, they've got traffic. And so outside we see a truck pulling up and there's a dog like just drinking some water in the road and he runs off because the truck comes by. And then inside everyone's all getting ready to go out and the truck backs up to an area. And then some other men come out of like the storage unit or warehouse, whatever it is. And they got guns. And then the door opens and they're like, yeah, get down, get down. They all got their guns out. And then the bad guys finally shoot. One of my comments on this scene is they take forever to shoot because they like open the door and like, hey, and then the dudes are all like, oh, let's go backwards. And they don't ever shoot. And they take them a long time to shoot anyway. 
And then they go back in the storage unit and then the truck finally leaves like after a minute of like shooting and agents all running. So I don't know why the truck didn't immediately leave, but they didn't. And then they chase down the truck and they shoot out his tires and it crashes into another car. And then Mulder tells Scully to go around to the driver's side. Of course, Mulder and Scully are the ones who chase the truck and shot the tires because they're the stars of the show. And they approach the passenger side and he's like, you know, Exit the truck, exit the vehicle, I'm armed, federal agent. And then Scully sees blood on the driver's side window and a bullet hole. And she's like, the driver is dead. And Mulder's like, I counted two men. So they both go over to the passenger side, which seems like a bad idea. Maybe Scully should have stayed on the driver's side in case the dude tried to go out the other door, but they don't. And then Mulder orders the other person to get out and the person tosses a gun out of the vehicle and then slowly gets out and he puts his hands up. And then Mulder sees who it is and is like, you son of a bitch. And then he lowers the gun and punches the dude. And we find out that it's Crychek. <gasps> Crychek. Yep. And Mulder pushes him to the ground and puts his gun on him. And Crychek tells Mulder that he handed Mulder this bust. Who does he think sent him those receipts? And then Mulder's like, mm, pulls the gun off him. Yeah, kind of reluctantly, but he does. Yeah. So the other agents round up the other suspects and Mulder walks Krychek, who's handcuffed, into the storage unit. Krychek tells him the detonation cord was stolen from a construction site. Some of the explosives were just taken from a military base. Security so lax. And then Mulder shoves Krychek and kind of forces him to sit. And he continues that most everything else was over the counter. 2,000 kilos of boom, boom. Boom, boom. Gully asks how he got involved with these men. And Krychek says they found him in North Dakota. You go underground, you learn to live with the rats. So Mulder knocks off his baseball cap and he says that he's sure Krychek had no trouble adapting. Burn! <laughs> Krychek says these men are pathetic revolutionaries who have no problem killing innocent people. And Scully like asks Krychek, she's like, what do you want? And he says the same thing they do. To find the man who tried to kill him the man who killed Mulder's father and Scully's sister. <gasps> and Scully asks if he wants this man brought to justice. Krychek says, you can't bring these men to justice. They're protected by the laws of this country in the name of national security. And so Mulder asks why he doesn't just put a bullet in the man's head like he did the driver of that truck. And Krychek says, these men fear one thing, exposure. You expose their crimes, you destroy their ability to destroy. Mulder says the only thing that will destroy them is the truth. Krychek laughs and he's like, there is no truth. These men make up the truth as they go along. And Mulder tells Krychek they can't help him. Krychek says this is only one bomb he's sitting on here. They didn't ask him about the others he knows about. <gasps> Whoa. Sadly, they didn't hold back the credits like they did in Piper Maru. So, like, everyone watching the U.S. Customs scene would know that Crycheck is coming back. because it's uh, Yeah. Like, in it. So, I'm personally in the all credit should be at the end of anything. Movies, TV, whatever. I'm in that group. I think all credit should be at the end. I get, if you're going to watch something, like, you know it's going to be who's going to be in it. But then maybe you don't know some secret stuff. And if you see them in the credits, then you're like, oh, they're in this yeah and usually like if it's supposed to be a surprise reveal like they usually will leave that name out i guess because this happened so quickly into the episode maybe they didn't think it was worth it yeah i guess maybe i don't know so then we are at dulles international airport in herndon virginia 
Mulder and Scully walk in with Krychek, who is cuffed with a jacket over the cuffs to hide it so that he doesn't look like he's like walking around with handcuffs on. And Scully asks what flight he's on. And Krychek says it's an international charter that originated in Russia on a Turkish airline. So Mulder finds it on the arrivals list and it landed 15 minutes ago. But Scully points out the man will still need to go through customs. Krychek thinks otherwise and still have a diplomatic pouch, which then kind of directly contradicts the teaser because if he's got diplomatic stuff, he wouldn't, I don't know, anyway. <sighs> they head towards the area where the passengers come through almost immediately. They see a man with a suit and Krychek is like, that's him. And he's carrying an orange diplomatic pouch. Scully approaches him and flashes her badge. Just like, don't be alarmed. We just want to talk to you. So, of course, the dude runs because she just like walked up to him by herself. And he heads through the doors and then they close. And Scully's like, oh, they only open one way, but she can't go through for some reason. But anyway, they all chase him and then he gets away. They could go down a jetway and all this kind of stuff. And then boom. And they like watch him and he's running across the tarmac. And then Scully notices that he discarded the pouch on top of a luggage cart. That was convenient. And Krychek is waiting by the door because Mulder like handcuffed him to like the door, like the, <laughs> the like the little handrail next to the door. And so he's like just all there chill with like the jacket hanging over the cuff, so people don't think he's handcuffed there. Like he's just waiting for somebody. And Scully as like, is this some kind of joke? And he's like, what? And they open the pouch, and it's like a rock. It's kind of like black and reddish looking. And then Mulder makes a joke about, what did you get, Charlie Brown? Because, like, you know, trick-or-treat stuff. And then he walks away. And then it's commercial. So. Yeah. It's real lucky the guy didn't take the pouch with him. I'm guessing the guy figured they had more people and he didn't want to have it on him if they apprehended him or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he thought he could run faster without this pouch that apparently weighs, like, nothing. But anyway. So, yeah. It's just convenient. Again, contrivances. Anyway, Dulles International Airport. IAD is actually not in Herndon, Virginia. It's in Dulles, Virginia. <laughs> Herndon, Virginia is actually like 3.5 miles away. So I mean, it's really close, but it's not in the same place. The site for the airport was selected by President Eisenhower in 1958. But hmm, there was already something there. Huh. So Willard, an unincorporated, largely African-American community, was demolished and 87 uh. property owners and had their holdings condemned. But I'm sure they were all adequately compensated by the government. I am quite sure. And I am lying because I'm sure they were not adequately compensated for their No, property. probably not. But yeah. Oh, America. Anyway, like just, she walks up and is like, hey, I'm FBI. We want to talk to you, but don't be worried. Like, would it have been better like, to get alongside the guy and like kind of like, you know, lock him in so that if he tried to run, you could grab him? No, they just she's all Leroy Jenkins, like, hey, I'm <laughs> FBI. Oh my God. And then, you know, Scully, like maybe super scientist Scully would have realized that's like a Martian rock. Ooh, sorry. I said it. I shouldn't have spoiled it. I wasn't going to spoil it. Well, she's, it anyway. she's not a super scientist. She's a doctor. She's a medical doctor. Uh, f- yeah, right. She's a super <laughs> scientist according to the show. I also, the one thing I, hilarious, because like, we got to make sure we know this is a bad guy, right? So like when they're chasing him, he's running through the halls in the airport and the halls are completely empty except for like two people. And of course, we kind of like, boom and knock both of them down like they uh-huh. had like n- no way to get around these like two random people who are like spaced out uh it was just funny because like there's this one lady he's all boom she like oh and falls to the ground <laughs> and then he comes around the corner there's another guy and he's like boom hits him it's like he could have told like, whatever dude okay i thought it was funny just, yeah um... it is kind of funny so then we're in crystal city virginia and it's 11 2 p.m and there's a knock on skinner's door 
and he comes downstairs shirtless. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and he's fastened in his belt and he's like, who is it? And Mulder's voice says he needs to speak with him. And so Skinner sighs and he opens the door and Mulder tells him he needs authorization to provide a safe house. And Skinner's like, for whom? And then Mulder pulls Krychek in front of the door and he says, this man has information about right-wing militia who could save lives of innocent Americans. And of course, Mulder knows who Krychek is and knows that Skinner knows what he is. He's kind of doing that, right? Kind of yeah, thing, right? exactly. And yeah. Skinner's like, oh, he'll be safe here. And then Mulder pushes Krychek inside. And then once inside, Skinner punches him in the guts. Krychek doubles over. And Skinner's like relatively safe. And then he tells Krychek they're not even yet. That's just the start. And he pushes Krychek out to the balcony and he cuts him to the balcony rail. And Krychek says, like, if you leave me out here, I'm going to freeze to death. And Skinner tells him to think warm thoughts. So Skinner lives like in a big old high rise now. So he has moved since Avatar. Mm-hmm. I also wonder where his wife is, like his succubus wife. Don't know. Maybe she's upstairs. Maybe they were doing stuff. That's why he was putting his clothes on. I don't know. But man, just man, clutch the pearls. I got the vapors. Oh, God. <laughs> Man, that was so. so it's a really oh. nice, like, two story high rise apartment, too. So that's really, yeah. Fancy. And Real like, fancy. there's stuff on the walls. Like, when we saw the apartment he was living in when he left his wife, like, he'd been living there for a while, but like, everything was still like in boxes and shit. He hadn't put nothing on the walls. So something's going on. But yeah, we'll find out later. Like, he just recently moved, but so he did move. So they do acknowledge that part because he was like in a like one level, like, housing apartment complex kind of thing previously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know where his wife is. I don't know if his wife is upstairs in their fancy like penthouse apartment. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they maybe their reconciliation didn't work out. He's living alone again. I don't know. I didn't check to see if he was wearing his ring or not. Yeah. So I should have with that chest. Whew, man. Whew, man. <laughs> I got distracted because oh, he was. Yeah, I sure did. Oh man, I was not <laughs> expecting that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Some Mitch Pelegi fan service. There you go. Oh man, seriously, man. You can molder in a pair of speedos who cares skinner with no <laughs> shirt on Whew, damn yeah so then we're at the nasa goddard space flight center in greenbelt maryland there's a door labeled department of exobiology and we see a man that will learn his Dr. Sachs and he's wearing a lab coat and he's carrying a plastic container holding the rock that they found in the pouch. And he goes through a door to where Mulder and Scully are sitting. And he asks again to make sure that they have no idea where the rock came from. And Scully says, not of its origin, no. Mulder thinks Sachs may have an idea. Sachs tells them the rock contains what are known as polycyclic hydrocarbons fitting the approximate description of those found in fragments of a meteorite that was found in Antarctica. Mm. What they're looking at is quite possibly from Mars and over 4 billion years old. Whoa. Mulder asks if it's valuable, and Sachs says not beyond adding evidence of the debate of fossilized remains of alien bacteria. So, yeah. Who cares about that stuff? (laughs) Yeah. Not monetarily. You're not going to take it and trade it for like enough money to buy an RV or something. So Scully asks if the rock contains fossilized remains. And Sachs says he won't know until he takes a core sample, which he's hoping they'll allow him to do. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Let me uh, fly. I don't know if they're (laughs) authorized to give that approval, (laughs) but 
I guess because they, hey, finders keepers. They brought it in. I guess. Rock okay. <laughs> Mulder says he thinks they'd all like to know what's in that rock. Whoa. And just for continuity, Goddard Space Flight Center actually is in Greenbelt, Maryland. So good job. At least they got one place right. So, yeah. <laughs> got one correct. <laughs> Dr. Sachs is played by Malcolm Stewart, who played Agent Bonacasey in the X-Files Season 3, Episode 21, Avatar, which we were just talking about. Yeah. He was also in Pilot and in the Season 2, Episode 7, Episode 3, with vampires, sort of. He'll appear in the next episode and in two episodes of Millennium. And prior to appearing in television film, he had a stage career and made his Broadway debut in Dracula with Frank Langella in 1977, which had costumes and sets designed by Edward Gorey, by the way. Oh, cool. He was the understudy for Jonathan Harker and for Butterworth. I don't know who Butterworth is, but being the understudy for Jonathan Harker, that's pretty decent for a Broadway show. Because the revival, obviously, from Belle Lugosi. Which is interesting because then Frank Langella went on to be in the 1979 movie of Dracula, which is exactly what Bella Gosa did because he was in the stage production and then was in the movie. Anyway, his Internet Movie Database credits go back to 1984, and he is actually still working today. His longest recurring gigs were as a voice actor in 26 episodes of Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century from 1999 to 2001. And as Francis DuPont in 11 episodes of Riverdale from 2019 to 2020. So mainly he's just a character actor, dude. But yeah, yeah he's still he's still cranking it out. Still got credit. Nice. So, yep. So Skinner leaves his building. We assume he's probably heading to work. And the cigarette smoking man comes up behind him. He catches up and he whips out his box of Morley's and lights up. And the cigarette smoking man says he didn't realize Skinner lived in this neighborhood. Like, oh, fancy finding <laughs> you here on the sidewalk. I didn't know uh-huh. you lived here. Sure. Yeah, totally yeah. buying that. <laughs> Skinner says he just moved and asks the cigarette smoking man what he wants. And the cigarette smoking man tells him that Mulder and Scully intercepted a diplomatic pouch and it's created a problem in foreign policy circles. Skinner says he doesn't know anything about a diplomatic pouch. The cigarette smoking man finds that hard to believe since he's their supervisory agent. As a friend, he advises Skinner that withholding information on matters of national security is punishable under the laws of treason and sedition. Skinner's like, I'll consider myself advised as a friend. And then the cigarette smoking man tells him that he needs that pouch and who gave them the order to intercept it. And Skinner says he'll get back to him. And then he walks away. And then up on Skinner's balcony, we see Krychek is still cuffed to the railing. and He was like asleep. But then someone enters Skinner's apartment. And Krychek sees them, and it's the man who was carrying the pouch at the airport. And he starts dumping out Skinner's drawers looking for something. But then he, like, sees something, so he goes out to the balcony. And he looks around, but the balcony is empty. Krychek is huh. gone. Weird. So he turns around to leave, and Krychek reaches up from over the railing and grabs him. And then Krychek is dangling from the balcony, and he pulls the man, and boom, goes over the railing, and the man falls. And Crycheck is just hanging there. Yeah, he's just hanging out. Yep. <laughs> he heard someone and he's like, I'm going to mm-hmm. jump over the railing and hang from it and then murder yeah. the guy if he comes out to look, which he does. So, oh, sucks for that guy. For this scene, they put Nicholas Lee on a platform and they had him struggle, but like he was still standing on something and he was like, you know, it'd be like a better shot if you saw my feet dangling. So they pulled the platform away and got a couple shots of him actually dangling. Although he obviously was not like, 10 stories up so it's not that dangerous yeah. i don't know I mean, if they did they did a good composite yeah. i mean they could have just belted him 
and then he would have been secure yeah they might have done that too i'm not exactly sure how they did it i just know it was kind of his idea he was like no i don't need to stand here we can get the real shot so good for nick lee for being willing yeah because even if he was that high up on a platform, I would think they would have him secured to the balcony besides just like. A oh, hand. probably. Yeah. So he oh, probably sure. was built. He probably was belted and wired and stuff, too, I imagine. So, yeah, safety first. So then we're at FBI headquarters and it's 1117 p.m. Mulder's hanging up a call when Scully enters the X-Files office and she asks if he's got anything. Mulder says that Customs detained another courier on a similar visa two nights ago. He was coming from Russian Georgia carrying some kind of toxic soil sample, which leads Mulder to believe the rock they intercepted contains answers beyond the existence of extraterrestrial life and beyond the conspiracy to cover up that existence. Scully says the rock contains fossils of what's only theorized to be alien bacteria, and that's up for debate. Mulder asks why all the effort to get it onto U.S. soil. He thinks Krychek's given them a pivotal piece of a larger plot. Scully says Krychek is a liar and a murderer. She's not wrong. But Mulder says this Krychek wants to expose the same men they do. And Scully is worried about how far Mulder will go and how far she can follow. And then they exchange a look and he leaves. Mm. And I think Mulder just says Russian Georgia. So people would know he wasn't talking about like Georgia, the state, because Georgia actually declared independence from Russia in 1991 yeah it took them a while but they were independent by the time this episode came out so yeah i'm sure it's mostly for clarification for viewers like georgia why was it in georgia but i don't know alien bacteria alien worms from alaska freaky asparagus throat monster spores like it's fine we don't need to worry about possible alien bacteria it's fine it's just oh that might be weird X-Files, why you do this to me all the time? I want to believe. You make it so hard. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) They could call that stuff back a little better, but they they generally don't. So Yeah, so then we're at Goddard, and we see Dr. Sachs drilling the rock open with a bandsaw. I thought he was like a core sample, but I guess maybe words don't mean what I think they mean in the X-Files. And so, so while he's doing that, something splashes out of it. And this oily liquid covers the work table and then it gets on his helmet too. And then the oil starts to form the little black leech things on the table. And then they're on his visor. And then he's like, ah! because we know that stuff can get through like anything. Cause we saw it get through like a diving suit underwater. So yeah, the effect looks really good on the table, but it does not look good on his visor. It looks like they're floating in space. Like you're like, they're on your screen or something. It's very bad. Yeah, so, it's not great. You can on the table, see. they look really good. And earlier, they looked really good, too. And they're, like, on the dude's legs and stuff. And the customs, that would look really good. But on the visor, they don't look good. Which, that's probably hard, because you got to get that right. you got to get the depth right on that. And there, it's blank, and then there's something behind it. So, I can kind of see that. but Yeah. It doesn't yeah. look good. So, then Skinner calls Mulder from a payphone. And Mulder is in a car with Scully heading to Goddard. But Skinner suggests they turn around and head home. He doesn't know how to explain himself to the police. And Mulder asks about what? Skinner says they're at his building with a dead body and they want to talk to everyone. And then Skinner hangs up. Hmm. So Mulder has Scully pull over so he can grab a cab. He wants her to keep going and find out about that rock. Yeah. And Skinner's not having the luck with the cops. No, Maybe, that's why he moved. Maybe that's why he moved last time. The cops <laughs> were always harassing him. 
He's having some bad luck. Like people keep ending up dead in his vicinity, like around him. It's not good. So in front of Skinner's building, the coroner rolls a body bag away on a gurney. And we see that police are in front of the building and Skinner talks to a detective telling him he wasn't even home at the time of the incident. So then he tells the detective his floor, which is 17, and his name. Walter Skinner. Yes, his name is Walter Skinner. He also mentions that he's the assistant director of the FBI. And the detective apologizes. He got some bad information that there's a man hanging from his balcony. Which Skinner Skinner has this face that he makes just like an oh shit face. <laughs> and it's, it's just freaking great. So I just wanted to call that out because it's such a good expression. Yeah. And then while he's talking to the detective, Mulder slips into the building. Oh, sneaky Mulder. Because I'm sure the cops weren't watching the door at all. Nope. They're not. I mean, people are not good at their jobs on TV. Because if they were, you could never get away with anything. (laughs) Up in Skinner's unit, Mulder gets Krychek off the balcony and undoes the handcuffs. He tells Krychek they're going to walk out of there acting normal. And if anyone speaks to them, Krychek is to say nothing. Krychek says he's looking forward to seeing how Mulder gets him out of there. Mulder gets angry, but Krychek tells him that once they identify the dead man, there's going to be no question whose apartment he fell out of. Mulder asks who the man is, and Krychek says it's the same guy with the pouch. So Mulder grabs him and starts ushering him out, and Krychek says to follow the pouch. But then Mulder's phone rings, and it's Scully, and she tells him that whatever's in that rock, it appears to be lethal. Don't follow the pouch. Yeah. Dr. Sachs is, she doesn't know. She's never seen this before. And then we see inside the room where he was cutting the rock. And Sachs is still inside his clean suit. And she doesn't know if he's dead or alive. And Mulder says she should find out. And he'll need an address in New York. And Scully will need to go through the bureau to get that. Did Mulder break down Skinner's door? Like, how do you get inside? Yeah, I don't Maybe he has a set of keys. Is Skinner's wife there and let him in? And she just went back upstairs. She's like, I'm a succubus. Stay away from me. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she's there because if she was there. I don't think so either. I can't yeah. imagine he would leave Krychek cuffed. Yeah. And unfortunately, we talked about in Avatar, like the fact that Skinner is married never comes up again. So, yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe the reconciliation didn't work and she had to go succubus someone else. Yeah. I don't know. Scully might not have seen something like that before, but I have... That a little bit anyway up on the upper west side in new york city it is 12 36 a.m and Mulder knocks on a door and marita covarubias opens it up and she's in her little nightgown and robe and Mulder tells her that he needs help and she asks how he knows where she lives and he tells her fbi database and then he apologizes and says it's a matter of extreme urgency he tells her about the diplomatic pouch from russia and that two men are dead and he needs to know why so she undoes the chain lock and lets them in. And then next we see Mulder. He's like sitting in a chair and he's kind of just sleeping in the chair. And we hear Cor Rubius talking on the phone and then she hangs up. And then she goes over to Mulder and bends down next to him and wakes him up and tells him that Couch traveled a route from the Russian province of Krasnoyarsk, and the entry point was the city of Norlisk. Mulder says that it's just north of Tunguska. And then he starts looking around for a cell phone because he can't find a cell phone. And Kovarubia says she can help him get cover credentials, a diplomatic passport or visa. And he asks why she's helping him. And she says it's because she can. And there are some of them who believe in him. And he asks how long it'll take. 
and she asks how long he has, and then it's a commercial. And Mulder cannot find his phone. He lost his phone. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't know what the whole like look Mulder looking for his phone part of the scene is because it's like it disappears or someone stole it. It's just weird. But yeah, and you maybe just give him something I to guess. do. Yeah. So then we come back from commercial, and Mulder gets in his car, and Crycheck is there, cuffed to the steering wheel, and he asks where Mulder's been. Apparently, Crycheck's been sitting there in the car. And Mulder says he's making travel arrangements to follow the pouch. And Krychek's like, you're really going to leave me in the dark. And then Mulder just punches him in the face. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Like, dude, what the hell? I know. I mean, anyway. to be fair, Krychek has done some pretty horrible things. But like, yeah, Mulder but still, is very, was like, very aggressive. Yeah, it's not really like, necessary. Yeah. yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't help the narrative that like, Krychek is this awful person. Like if he's getting his ass kicked all the time, because then you kind of are like, well, well also, I wouldn't this, be nice to you this, either. Is it, in, <laughs> is it in this episode or is it in the next one? But like we have at least three different times where Mulder's like aggro, super like when he first finds Krychek, he like punches him and Scully is like, Mulder. And then here he just wails and hits Krychek in the face. And then it's either in later in this episode or to the next episode, he like puts some dude in a jail cell in a neck cold and like Give me information, or um, you're gonna be in trouble. Like, dude, what are you doing? Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, geez, yeah. dude, cut back on the supplements. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Start drinking so, bottled water in your building. <laughs> we still don't know if that ever got resolved. So maybe just don't Man, drink your don't tap know. water. Yeah. So then we're at Goddard, and Scully has enlisted Agent Pendrel. And both of them are putting on hazmat clean suits. And Pendrel is kind of looking worried. He's like, um, these are level four suits, which is exactly what he's wearing. And that didn't <laughs> help him. Um, <laughs> this is a good point. And Scully's point. like, don't worry. It's impossible for these suits to become contaminated unless there's a tear or loss of pressurization. So whatever had happened to Saks is unlikely it penetrated his suit. She doesn't know that. She's just making assumptions. I would not follow her in there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he asked what she thinks happened but she says we won't know until we get in there and i'd be like no you won't know until you get in there because i'm yeah. not going in there well, I'm not it's following funny you. too because it's like these suits will be fine it's enough like whatever happened it's not it didn't breach a suit but then he's like well what do you think happened she's like i have no idea and it's like so you don't know that it didn't breach yeah. a suit. like you don't have any idea girl, well, even when sax was doing this stuff like he's in, <laughs> like he's in a suit right and then like he's in like a containment room but then i would like wouldn't you then also have the thing of like be cutting it inside one of those boxes with like yeah. you know the hand things? Like I would like layers of protection. Like the fact that he was just like right there, like on it, even though like he was in a suit and then in a clean room. I'm like another layer, dude. Another layer. Like you know, like safety first. But anyway, also plus you don't want to contaminate the rock the sample. Yeah. So like, there's no airlock that they're going into so like there's no protection like they're in an airlock and then put it on a clean clean suit like they're just out in the office putting on clean suits and they're going to go in there so like it's not just contaminating you but it's contaminating the rock as well if you're trying to test for alien life forms but anyway so i'm a better scientist than scully so <laughs> they head inside and they plug in their suits and they look at sax who's still not moving he's just standing there against the wall and Scully notes that there's film on his visor. And Pendrel says it looks like spray from the saw blade. Like when he was cutting the rock, maybe something must have come out of it. And then Sax suddenly like vibrates and shudders. And Scully's like, ah, he's alive. 
And Kendall's like, um, he can't be alive. He's not breathing. And Scully's like, no, I think he is. Maybe he's just in a coma. People in coma still breathe, Scully. I'm sorry. And she's like, we need <laughs> to get him out of here. Deep coma state with very shallow breathing. <laughs> oh my God. Like he's a zombie. That's what he is. It's like Pete in the shower and Shaun of the Dead. He's a freaking uh-huh. zombie. Like Pendrel knows. Pendrel's like, um, mm, mm, yeah, Pendrel's mm, very like, no. Uh, Scully's like, no, right. we need to get him out of the clean room and let him contaminate everybody. Come on, let's go. Yay. <laughs> Oh my god! Bad, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Let me cut into these pustules with no mask or clothes. Oh, this... you know what? I'm <laughs> always going to be mad about that. I'm always going to be mad about F masculata. Like, oh, so angry still. Anyway, like F masculata. <laughs> so then we're at JFK International Airport in New York City. New York City. New York City. Uh, oh, now I want salsa. I'm really hungry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So Mulder and Krychek arrive at the airport and Mulder parks his car and he gets out. He tells Krychek he'll leave the window rolled down for him. And if he's not back in a week, he'll have Scully bring him a bowl of water, which I don't like Krychek, but I also would not want to be left in an airport parking lot. Well, and also Mulder's implying car. that that would be okay to do with your dog or your cat. Like Mulder, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I would, like, I would hope he wouldn't do that to an animal also. But uh, anyway, Krychek, you know, understandably is like, you can't leave me here. And Mulder walks away and then he turns around and Krychek is still shouting at him. And so he comes back and he's like, what did you call me? And Krychek yells at him in Russian and then spits. And Mulder is impressed that Krychek speaks Russian. And Krychek says, my parents were Cold War immigrants. What's it to you? <gasps> Krychek speaks Russian. Yeah, and where's That's Mulder convenient. going? Well, we'll find Russia. out. But it, it might turn out to be a yeah, lucky, lucky break for Krychek. Well, I mean, we kind of know where he's going because they talked about he went to Russia. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Rubia, so. and it's pretty lucky because yeah. otherwise Krychek would have just been left in the car for God knows how long. God, that would suck. So then we're in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the well manicured man is watching a woman jump her horse. Cigarette smoking man pulls up and he gets out of a car and the well-manicured man comments on the long drive and cigarette smoking man says it would help if the well-manicured man had a phone. The well-manicured man says he comes out here because there are no phones. And then he asks what's up. And the cigarette smoking man, of course, lights a cigarette and tells him that a courier is dead. Well-manicured man says he heard he was pushed out a window. Can this expose them? The cigarette smoking man's like, of course not. And so then he's like, well, what's your concern? So last night, the CIA airport intel had a man using UN credentials appear on their computers, and he booked a flight for Krasnoyarsk, Russia. The man fits the description of Fox Mulder. White man, brown hair. Yeah. Yeah, you know, very distinctive. (laughs) Possibly packed a red Speedo. We don't know. (laughs) Could be in a suitcase. That sounds like him. So the well-manicured man calls him a fool and he's like, this must be handled. And the cigarette smoking man's like, of course it can be. You know my capabilities in a crisis. And the well-manicured man tells me he doesn't think he understands what level this must be carried to. It will take more than just good aim. Ooh. Dig, dig. So then Scully is in Skinner's office holding a summons from Congress. And Scully asks what they want to see them about. And Skinner says he doesn't know but the fact that his name is on the invite along with Mulder and Scully 
makes him think that he's been implicated in something more serious than he already knows. And then she doesn't respond. And he asks how much more serious. And she's like, hard to say. And he asks if it's more serious than harboring a known felon. And she doesn't answer. And he asks what Mulder knows. And Scully tells him that Mulder is endeavoring to get his own answers. And then Skinner's like, where? And Scully doesn't reply. Scully is not being forthcoming about anything in this episode. Mm-hmm. No. Which maybe she's worried his office is bugged or something, but I really wish she would kind of trust Skinner a little bit here. Hmm. I mean, we always say trust no one. But that's true. Yeah. I mean, you gotta but a skinner, come it's on. Skinner, you gotta trust somebody at some point. Like Mulder trusts Cover Rubius. Like you gotta trust somebody, right? Yeah. So then we're in Tunguska, Siberian forest, Russia. And a truck is driving down a dirt road and it stops and Mulder and Krychek hop off the back. And Krychek talks to the driver in Russian and the driver points and gives them directions. And then Krychek tells Mulder, he says it's about five kilometers through those woods. So Mulder wants to get going and Krychek thanks the driver and they head into the trees. And then they eventually come to a razor wire fence. And so Mulder is digging beneath it so they can crawl under. And Krychek is like, what are we doing here? And Mulder tells them that on June 30th, 1908, Tungus tribesmen and Russian fur traders looked up in the sky and saw a fireball streaking to earth. When it hit the atmosphere, it created a series of cataclysmic explosions that are considered to be the largest cosmic event in the history of civilization. 2,000 times the force of the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. <gasps> Krychek asks what it was, and Mulder says it was theorized to be a piece of a comet or an asteroid, or maybe even a piece of antimatter. The power of the blast leveled trees in a radial pattern for 2,000 kilometers. No real definitive evidence has been found to provide a satisfying explanation of what it was. That's wrong. Mulder crawls under the fence. He says he thinks someone found that evidence, and the explanation is something that no one ever dreamed of. And then Mulder starts heading off. And so Krychek crawls under the fence and runs after him. And they reach a ledge and duck down. And Mulder's looking through some binoculars. And we see men in what look like a quarry are digging or mining in the dirt and in the rocks and stuff. And he tells Krychek it looks like some kind of mining camp. And we see a man on a horse is supervising the work. And one man falls. He's trying to push a wheelbarrow. And the man on the horse whips him. And then horses come galloping up behind Mulder and Krychek. And Mulder's like, run! And so Krychek and Mulder run in different directions. And two of the men on horses pursue Krychek. And then he eventually trips and he gets caught. And then two more men pursue Mulder, who runs. But he's not as fast as horses. Like we say, he's a good runner, but he's not that good a runner. Mm-hmm. And then one of the riders is all, whips him and wraps around his legs. And he's all, ah! and he falls. And then the riders all, Mulder's all, ah, ah. And then it's commercial. So... Yep, getting wet. Not whipped. good, not good. So we come back from commercial and Mulder wakes up in a dirty cell. A voice is speaking from somewhere else in Russian and Mulder says he doesn't speak Russian. And the other prisoner who's like in another cell, like on the other side of the wall says, then no one has told you. And Mulder asks what? The prisoner tells him that he was brought here to die. <gasps> Mulder says he came here looking for something. And the prisoner says the only thing he will find is death and suffering. 
Mulder asks what this place is, and the man says, it's a gulag. Then the door to Mulder's cell opens, and two men throw Krychek into the cell. He says something to them in Russian, and they reply before shutting the door. Krychek tells Mulder that they need to get out of there. They're going to torture them. So he feels around the door and then like the bars on the windows. And Mulder asks how he knows. And Krychek says they were questioning him, trying to get him to confess. Mulder's like, to what? And Krychek says, to being a spy. Mulder pushes him against the wall and he's like, what did you tell them? And Krychek says that they're stupid Americans who got lost in the woods. Krychek tells Mulder he'll need him in here. And so Mulder lets him go. And Krychek's like, don't touch me again. Ooh. Then we're at Senate Executive Office building. And Scully and Skinner are led into Senator Sorensen's office. And he thanks them for coming. And he tells them to have a seat. And he asks if they're familiar with the penalties for obstruction of justice. And Scully is like, is that a rhetorical question? She's a little smarty in this one. Just yeah, little, she's, like she's, she's she's not talking and she's a little, <laughs> mm, yeah, even though she's usually all super demure with people and all. Yeah, she's a little sir, sir, sassy sir. today. She's got some attitude, yeah. which I appreciate, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. Sorensen asks if they know why they've been called in today. They've been looking into the death of the man who died at Skinner's apartment, and it's raised some troubling questions such as what the man was doing on Skinner's balcony before he fell to his death. And then he's like, it was your balcony, wasn't it, Mr. Skinner? And then Sorensen reminds him that perjury is a very serious offense. Mm -hmm. Scully says they intend to file a report on this matter once they understand what it is they're investigating. And then Sorensen's looking through some papers, and he's like, well, where is Agent Mulder? And Scully says he's in the field seeking answers to the questions Sorensen is asking. And Sorensen asks where he's seeking those answers. And Scully looks at Skinner, but she does not answer. <sighs> so back in the gulag, a slat opens and bowls of soup broth are kind of pushed through. And Mulder like picks his up, starts eating, but then he spits it out because he finds a roach in it. <gasps> Is it a roach with a metal exoskeleton? I mean, maybe. <laughs> so both he and Krychek toss down their bowls and then the door to the cell is open and men come in yelling and Krychek talks to them in Russian the man calms down and responds Mulder asks what he said and Krychek says he told them he wants to see a supervisor and then the man leads Krychek out and the other prisoner from the other side of the wall tells Mulder that Krychek is not his friend he's speaking differently to the guards and deceiving Mulder and then Mulder asks who that man is and the prisoner says, I'm a prisoner like you, but I've committed no crime. And Mulder asks why he's there. And he says, to do the work, I will die in the experiment when there's no longer any use for me. And Mulder asks, what experiment? The door to Mulder's cell opens and three men come in and he's pushed down. And one of the men give him an injection of some kind. <gasps> and according to the translated script, because we don't get any subtitles in this Mm -mm. episode of the russian we will next episode but krychek does actually say what he told Mulder. He said that you know he wants you to supervise that kind of stuff but according to the prisoner krychek is using formal tenses that indicate he is not what he appears to be because russian is supposedly like extremely difficult to learn as a second language and some of that is because of the number of tenses and similar subtleties that it has. So you can, like, how you say things and the tenses mean different things. And so apparently Krychik is using a more formal 
speech pattern and word choice than someone who would maybe be in his position if he was a prisoner would be. So gotcha. That's apparently what's gotcha. going on. Again, I don't know. I don't speak Russian. I'm just going no, to what the transcript I, says. I, I don't but either. apparently he does say, like, I need to speak to a supervisor. And the guy says, Well, if he doesn't want to speak to you, will you be held accountable? And he's like, I will be held accountable. I'll be held accountable. So like he's like, I know what I'm talking about, kind of thing. But so he doesn't really lie to Mulder, but apparently the speech he uses is more like, hey, yeah. I'm somebody. But the prisoner is kind of like, mm, something suspicious over there. Yeah. Then we see Mulder is lying on a table and he's got this chicken wire over him. It's very odd. He's like covered with this like netting wiring stuff. And he wakes up and we see there are rows of tables with other men who are strained in a similar fashion. And Mulder tries to look around, but like because of this wire that's like against his face, he can't really turn his head. So he can't. And then men begin screaming and we see this black oil is poured out of the ceiling and onto Mulder's face. And the screaming around Mulder subsides. And then a black leech crawls into Mulder's nose and several crawl under his skin. And we see black oil flow across his eyes. <gasps> Mulder's got the black oil. Oh, no, it's not good. It's not good. And then we get to be continued. Oh, no. So we're not going to find out what happens to Mulder infected with the black oil goop now. For Until next week. week. Ooh. And Chris Carter has said that, you know, for the first part of the show, like the first few seasons, especially like season one, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants. But for seasons three and four, they knew that the two-parter myth arc episodes would be the tent poles of the series. So they started to really nail down and plan out the whole myth arc story in advance so they could have those prepped and ready. And then they can build episodes around those. Which I'm just going to let go because we've talked about this many times we did and i yeah anyway and jillian anderson recalls that when they were filming with the rock kim manners thought the actors were treating the alien oil-filled rock like too casually like it wasn't an object of awe or mystery it was just a rock so before they'd film he'd shout rock for mars to remind them to treat it with more awe and like curiosity and that became a running joke on set so they would all run around screaming rock for mars which i think is funny so i'm easily amused also a sign of like actors not taking their job seriously which is not a good sign but anyway well i don't know it's not taking your job seriously it's just that you know you maybe don't think about it you're like there's a rock in the scene and then you know it's just kind of a direct i know but that's taking like you need to understand what your motivations are that's not taking your job seriously (laughs) so anyway i find it funny that nick lee was all like lose the platform i think it'll look cooler when i'm strapped to this like balcony but then apparently when they did the razor wire scene they were going to use like plastic or rubber razor wire for like safety reasons right but it looked like shit and so kim manders was like it looks like shit and so they they got real razor wire and then david Duchovny was like i don't know i don't want to get cut so i was like oh i'm being a pussy but anyway <laughs> that is funny yeah go kim manners always trying to make, make that big deal good. about like Mulder did his own stunt on the tram back in you know and i'm like but then you're like i don't want to get cut by this right like you're Whatever. I mean, I wouldn't want to get cut by razor wire either, but yeah. Like, I'm sure they're going to make sure you're not going to get cut, David Duchovny, you big baby. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now that you're a big star, you're too good to crawl under some <laughs> razor wire. Anyway. Have it pushed up against your face so you can't move your head. <laughs> well, that's different. That was chicken wire. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I think it's funny because, like, 
I mean, David Duchovny has a distinctive nose, right? He does. And so I think it was funny because his nose was all sticking through. But I mean, anyone's nose would. But I thought uh-huh. it was kind of funny because like this big old ball of nose is like sticking through the chicken wire. And he's uh-huh. really trying to look around. But I mean, anyone's nose would unless it was like right in the center. So, yeah. No matter what kind of shape nose you had, it would stick through. I just thought Yeah, it, was it would. But anyway. Yeah. I think I said all I need to say about this episode. Let's get to reading. <laughs> I want to just get this one over with. <laughs> I don't even know I'm going to rate it honestly I need to think about it so <laughs> you need to if you need to like you know delay I need to ramble fine. for a while yeah uh, no I mean <laughs> I gotta say like so again to me this and Terma are kind of it's hard for me to separate them I say that every time there's a two-parter it's true though I, I know, just I struggle God. with it I don't know why would um, bother I think this one is probably going to be one of my lowest rated Mythark episodes I mean not the lowest because Blessing Way exists um <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wow. Oh, Blessing Way. Okay, we gave Blessing Way a five. So, okay, that gives me some, some, some idea here. But okay. I just, I like the idea of a rock filled with this alien stuff. And I feel like this is a pretty good setup. But also, I don't understand the Senate stuff. Like, I don't feel like that needs to be part of this in any well, way. Well, I think the way they're doing the Senate stuff is like they're, fo- and this will come up next episode too, like they're focusing on like, where's Mulder? But yeah, I can kind of get it because it goes back to what I said in the teaser of how like the whole diplomatic thing would be a big old giant kerfuffle. And like, that's what it's supposedly about, like the diplomat being killed and that kind of business. It's a lot like what we got like in Nisei in 731, right? Like that was the whole point of that, like Mulder stole a parcel from a diplomat, right? And they were, it's kind of the same idea, basically. And so, but, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. It just, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't not love playing it. right because they have. They have these layers of uh, yeah i guess there, it's just there's something about it not working for me and then i feel like scully doesn't really have much to do in this episode either so i'm kind of like it's just weird they're kind of just go look at the guy in the coma with the suit and then like they don't spend very much time on that i don't know it's just it's kind of weird i think i'm going to give this a six okay because i do like parts of it but yeah, as far as like myth arc two parters go, this is not my favorite set. Okay. Well, I think maybe I will do the same, and I will not treat it as, like there's no like. Well, I mean Scully's thing in the beginning of like I'd like to read a prepared statement. Oh, anyway, it's not as bad <laughs> as Blessing Way with like Mulder like no. in the sky with plants on. No. But another song I need to write. I've got two songs I need to write now, and I'm just not good at writing songs. So, but I'm not going to go as Blessing Way on it, but I am going to give it a three. Okay. So, yeah. Because it's just, I don't know. I mean, maybe a four. I might think about it. I mean, it's about hair and Volk level almost. It's just there's so many layers of. And it's going to be more so next episode. Sorry, people. I'm already like foreshadowing my next reading. Yeah, well, again, just, it's the there's same There's just layers thing, of right, stuff so. that like it has to happen this way so things can happen. And like in reality, it would not happen that way. You just, it's because you, whether you wrote yourself into a corner or because you need to move things along, you just do this. I don't know. It's just not good writing, in my opinion. So I'm not happy with this two part. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not the best. I'm actually not happy with almost any of the almost all the two parters are their big tent poles. And I'm like, this is not like you have way better episodes in the season than your freaking two parters that you supposedly use as tent poles for the series. And it's like, 
uh, what are you guys doing? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I've been pretty surprised at how much I've liked a lot of the myth arc stuff because like I always say, I'm a monster of the week girl. I like the weird episodes and the monster of the week stuff. I, I get bored when they harp on the same story for too long. Supernatural. Looking at you. Um, I think we are also the more and more that I look into Supernatural, I think I'm going to dig the shit out of that show if I start watching I mean, it. I love Supernatural. So, I just hate when they get on an arc and it goes on for like 14 episodes and you're like, okay, I don't care anymore. Can we please get a fun fighting a monster over here kind of you know deal? I'd rather yeah, see that I don't know. for a while. I'll I'll see. A break from see. It. To... But yeah, well, you'll have to see. But this season i feel like has been a little bit rough and then i've just there are some really solid episodes and they're they're kind of so far to me at least the monster of the week ones and this this two-parter just doesn't work as well for me and i'm not really entirely sure why i will i mean there's there's some reasons why that we'll talk about next week (laughs) (laughs) because i I don't want to get too far ahead of myself but yeah it's just not my favorite so i don't know i don't know okay well on that I think uh, we'll thank everybody for listening. Thank you for listening. listening. And um, next week, right? Yeah, next week we'll finish it up. We'll see what happens now that Mulder is infected with the black oil and obviously won't be able to ever do anything again until the black oil leaves. So he's going to be. And when it does, who knows what's going to happen? Is he going to infect Scully? Is he going to infect Skinner? Is he going to infect the cigarette smoking man? (gasps) Who knows? We don't know. We'll find out. Or they just going to hand wave it and pretend like it never happened. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. We'll find out. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Join us next week to find out. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and edited by Lazy End Productions. That's right. We made this. We also make a Patreon-only X-Files adjacent podcast that you should definitely check out. You can use the link tree link in our show notes to find it, along with a bunch of other cool stuff that we have. But whatever you do, you should join us next time for X-Files Season 4, Episode 9, Terma. And together, we'll try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. Trust no one. The truth is what we make of it.
then we're at FBI headquarters and it's 11.17 p.m. Cantoria sleepy. I know. Dude, I <laughs> cleaned so much today. It was like I didn't stop moving from like 7 a.m. to like, and yeah, everything just tired. That was just now. funny because you're like, it's 11.17 p.m. Oh, bedtime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your arms all stretch out. Ah, I got your little nightcap on. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing this in old-timey pajamas in my old-timey bed with curtains yeah. around it. Where I'm is recording. that a nightgown? <laughs> no, it's no, it's a what did he call it? That wasn't what it's re- called. I forget. I can't remember, but it's like a, a night. That wasn't a, a night shirt. shirt. It's a night shirt, but I don't remember what he called it. He called it some stupid thing. I don't remember what that's not what it is, but yeah. I don't remember either. <laughs> God damn it, Dean. All right. Anyway. 